Welcome back. Today on the Maya Games, we're going to take a look at the feature of the Maya that is the illusion of separation. But we're also going to talk about how that illusion is intentional. So this idea, this phrase that gets brought up in spiritual spaces, esoteric spaces of the illusion of separation, which is, I mean, essentially just another way of iterating what the Maya is. I like to rephrase it for myself often and for students as the intentional illusion of separation. And that tends to come up for me most often, this like rebranding of the classic phrase, the illusion of separation, as the intentional illusion of separation. It comes up for me most often when I'm teaching directly about the Aries perspective or the Aries medicine. And as an Aries sun, as an Aries stellium myself, this shift in awareness towards your separation as being just as sacred as the truth of your connection to all is really a big piece of what I think my life and my expression and my frequency is here to offer or just like does offer. I see the zodiac as a whole, the circle of the zodiac as a representation of wholeness and ultimate truth. And I see each sign as a fragment of that truth. And so I see awareness of the zodiac and of the juxtaposition of each of these fragmentations onto the wholeness and interacting with each other as being a really revelatory, liberating tool for acceptance of all of the parts of the human experience on the individual level, on the relational level, on the societal, global, collective consciousness level. And this is what I'm basically always talking about, whether I'm talking about it through the lens of astrology or human design or something less succinct um, in just spiritual concepts. But I mean, even the first like spontaneous, unedited episode of this podcast, Cosmic Language Goggles, was very directly about this. And I'm bringing it up in this moment to speak to these seemingly conflicting truths that are the truth that we are all ultimately and eternally connected, that God or source is consciousness and specifically this consciousness that we all collectively belong to. We might say that this is a truth of Pisces, perhaps, definitely a truth of the wholeness of the zodiac in general. But then there's also the truth of Aries, that we're each having these separate experiences as differentiated vessels for this eternal collective consciousness. And one way this comes up for me a lot when I'm teaching is when I talk about how the zodiac is a circle, not a line. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have recently just seen that I did a post on this about the profile lines in human design, how the first line is not necessarily a beginning. It is the extension of what happens after the embodiment in the sixth line, how the second line is not 
necessarily lacking the foundation of the first line. It's building upon the foundation of the first line to demonstrate its unique and natural orientation to what's already been assimilated at the foundational level. That was a fun post. Go check it out if you want, if you're into human design and want to expand and maybe shift your orientation to the profile lines. But that idea for me, was born out of applying this concept to the zodiac. The zodiac is a circle, not a line. We evolve and expand in our consciousness spiralically, not linearly. And I think about this often, specifically in regards to the experience and perspective and fragment of truth that is Aries. We think of Aries as the beginning of the zodiac, and it is in zodiacal order, and there's merit to understanding that. And Aries is the natural next step after Pisces. In Pisces, we kind of return to the void, to the cosmic soup of connection. There's no separateness in Pisces. And then to personify the experience of consciousness, metaphorically speaking, we get bored as a collective consciousness. And so we jump out of the void. In that moment, uh, we can use the metaphor of like birth, this violent moment, this trauma where we separate from the womb. It's bloody, it's loud, it's messy. And there's a distinct, clear separation from the source, the womb in which we were. And this is one way that I really like to characterize the shift from Pisces to Aries, this disconnection from source, but honestly, only sort of, right? Because this illusion, this separation, which we very much do experience through our lives as painful as all hell, is intentional and is sacred. I like to point out that of all 12 of the signs, the one that has the most fresh but also fully integrated understanding of the truth of Pisces and wholeness is Aries. Pisces obviously knows its truth, but it's in the process still of assimilating and integrating and owning that truth for the entire 0 to 29 degrees of itself when you get to Aries you have assimilated and integrated that truth enough to move on so this is all where this idea of the intentional illusion of separation comes from sometimes we want to reject the Aries parts of ourselves and this is whether we have Aries placements or not we all have an Aries part of ourselves and the Aries parts of each other we want to reject them because they seem violently selfish. They seem violently removed from source. But Aries remembers the truth of connection and wholeness. And Aries carries that truth of connection and wholeness into the way it intentionally separates from source in order to jump back into this matrix and have a unique personal experience through moving through all of the zodiac signs and all of those fragments of truth once again so that they can then return back to Pisces, return back to the cosmic soup, the void, and have that individual experience of consciousness and everything that came with it be assimilated into the collective consciousness or into source or into God or into the oversoul. 
there's a reason beyond me just being an Aries that I want to bring this up. And the reason is that there's a phrase and a consideration and a question that has been coming up for me a lot in recent years and that I find myself reiterating like quite constantly to my astrology students, my human design students, to the internet at large, to whoever will listen. Like I don't think I've given a single like workshop offering or podcast interview in the last few years where I haven't reiterated this question of where have you been abandoning yourself for fear of being abandoned by the other? Or how have you been abandoning yourself for fear of being abandoned by the other? And this question, this consideration arrived to me through being an observation of and sitting with the challenges and the triggers and the fears of a particular transit. And that transit is Chiron in Aries. And because Chiron takes such a long time in Aries, it's about an eight-year transit in whole, so much of what I'm experiencing and what I'm watching be experienced and how I'm reading and attuning to and feeling and filtering all the transits right now, again, for the past few years, and I imagine for the next few years, includes, connects with, engages with, dialogues with, this strand of the current experience that is the Chiron and Aries transit. And so in inviting you all on this journey of real-time commentary on the goings-on in the Maya, I wanted to offer a foundation of what I'm talking about when I say Chiron and Aries and when I bring up this self-abandonment and this wound of abandonment and the wound of separation. These are all words that I use a lot to talk about this particular thread in the matrix in the Maya right now that all of us are working through on some level. So I will talk a little bit more about the specific astrology to help frame this planetary context and to help you, the listener, the unique experiencer of the thread of self-abandonment wound and the codependency clearing that's happening to help you locate the way you're uniquely experiencing this right now in your own body, in your own perception, in your own life, and in your own relationships. But I, I'm going to focus more than on translating the astrology on the real life, in the body, in the mind, in the world, in your relationships experience of this transit. At least that's what I think I'm going to focus on. I never really know what's going to happen. How have you been abandoning yourself for fear of being abandoned by the other? If you have been tuning into me for a while, you've heard me state and expand on and contextualize this question and this theme so many times, but I imagine that it bears repeating, right? Like we are detangling and deconstructing and deprogramming years and years and years of thick globs of compulsive self-abandonment patterns, which also manifest relationally in very extreme, but also very subtle sometimes tendencies for codependency. I am asking myself this question regularly. Like, what is my self-abandonment looking like today? What is it looking like in this situation, in this relationship? How is my self-abandonment manifesting in this fear? So 
yeah, for those of you who have been on this ride with me for a while, we're, we're going to dig into it some more today. And if you're new to me again, let me lay down a foundation here for something that I will likely refer to often for the next few years. Here's a little Kairos Kronos context before we get into all the symbolic and cosmic curriculum stuff. Just to kind of place us in linear time, that's Kronos, with the quality of this transit and this experience, that's uh, Kairos. So Chiron first dipped into Aries in April of 2018, and then it went back into Pisces during its retrograde uh, from the fall of 2018 to early 2019, February 2019. And since February 2019, it's been in Aries persistently, consistently, and it will remain here in Aries until 2026, 2027, just like when Chiron entered in 2018 and then again in 2019. So there was kind of like a soft start and then a real start. The same thing happens when Chiron will exit Aries and enter Taurus. Um, there's a little bit of dipping back and forth. But all in all, like the big bookends of this transit are April 2018 um, until April 2027. So for those of you who are into human design and specifically into the global cycles and the background programming in the 2020 to 2027 shift, we see a correlation here, right? And this is one of the things that really pulled me in to Chiron and Aries. I saw the overlap of this shift from cross of planning into cross of sleeping phoenix and everything that means just disregard that if you don't know what it means it's not relevant unless it is i saw the overlap of this shift in the global cycle taking place from 2020 to 2027 with this period of chiron being in aries which is roughly 2018 2019 to 2027 and I also, once I was kind of hooked into Chiron and Aries a bit, I did a little more study near the beginning of this transit, and I learned about Chiron's weird orbit and how they spend a much different amount of time in the different signs. Chiron takes about 50 years to get all the way around the zodiac, so this is why we all experience our Chiron return around age 50. However, there's 12 signs. We just talked about how Chiron is spending about eight years in Aries. That doesn't add up, right? Chiron has a very irregular orbit. It spends the most time in Aries by far and the least time in Libra. So as Chiron leaves Aries and moves into Taurus, from through that first half of the zodiac, Taurus through Libra, Chiron kind of speeds up, spending less and less time in each sign. It gets to Libra, where I think it's only about a year that Chiron will be in Libra, and then it starts to slow down as it moves into Scorpio through the Zodiac and arrives back to Aries, where it will once again spend seven or eight years. And this was just so interesting to me conceptually, and I've just been playing with it a lot, watching it, being curious about it. Before I talk more about like the significance of the overlap with 2027, the significance of it spending so much time in Aries, and then one other factor I want to bring in, which is the Chiron return. Let's just talk about Chiron for a second. So Chiron, the most common words you'll hear for referring to the basic archetype of Chiron is the wounded healer. Personally, 
I, at this point in my life and in my practice, tend to orient to the wound more than the wounded healer. I think for me, this is just kind of an acknowledgement that until I experience my first Chiron return, that wound being sort of transcended and healed and then assimilated into the way I'm able to offer my medicine to the world, I'm not going to fully be able to feel into exactly what that is and looks like for me and also universally with the Chiron principle in the same way that like I knew what the Saturn return was before I experienced mine, but I have such a more concrete lived embodied awareness of Saturn in general and also my experience with Saturn and the Saturn return transit since my Saturn return. So I don't want to diminish the part of the the Chiron archetype that is the healer because it's a massive part of it. Uh, but for me personally, speaking from my direct experience, at this point in my life, I orient to Chiron a bit more through that kind of core wound. And it is specifically a core wound about abandonment. Chiron's story and mythology has a lot to do with being abandoned and not belonging. And so Chiron as a body in the sky, as a planet in our chart, is marking, it's indicating a place by house and a way by sign where we experience a very deep wound and fear of abandonment. While Chiron is in Aries, that wound and fear of abandonment take on a particular flavor. It takes on the flavor of Aries. So it becomes this abandonment of self, this abandonment of this separate experience, this rejection of our separateness, of our inherent separateness, and of the inherent sanctity of our separateness. It's so interesting to me and telling and meaningful to me that Chiron, this story of abandonment, this pain and fear of abandonment, spends the most amount of time in Aries. This tells me that self-abandonment is something that is to be worked through, to be emphasized. The pain of separation, the wound of separation, and how we deal with that, reckon with that, tend to that wound within us, heal from that wound within us, is the most significant part of Chiron's entire story of abandonment in all these different realms and ways. If you do follow human design, this fits with what we think we know, at least, about what's shifting in the global frequency, in the background programming as we move from the cross of planning, which is much more tribal and collective than where we're going with the cross of sleeping phoenix, which is much more individual. And in addition to this, Chiron spending so long relative to any of the other signs in Aries and the way that it just happens to overlap with this shift in global frequencies into an era that in the human design space, some of us are sort of feeling into a future era that will be much more about the individuality and individual experience. 
the other factor that's always been really interesting to me since I started paying really close attention to Chiron in general and Chiron in Aries is that when Chiron was discovered in 1977, it was at three degrees Taurus. And we tend to use a planet's discovery chart to help us understand the nature of that planet. This is what's been done and looked at and played with for all of the outers when we started discovering new planets and bodies beginning in 1781 with Uranus. Astrologers look at the discovery chart to help understand what this planet is, how does it fit into the schema of the planets in general, and thus into the psyche of the human experience. And I mentioned earlier the significance of the Chiron return and how I don't believe that we really are able to fully grasp the archetype of our own unique Chiron experience, our own story of the wounded healer, until we've experienced that Chiron return individually. But when I think about that on the collective level, like we as a species, as an awareness, a collective awareness, we won't even begin to discover the entirety of the story of the wounded healer and how it fits into our life and our consciousness until we've experienced a full revolution of Chiron through the Zodiac consciously. And we will experience that in the near future when Chiron reaches three degrees Taurus. So it's always felt very exciting and interesting and again telling and meaningful to me that as in right now in the year of 2023 as Chiron is about what half-ish way through its very long elongated Chiron and Aries transit it is also in the process of closing out its first full revolution around the zodiac so this last long drawn out stretch of Chiron and Aries where we're dealing with our fear of abandonment, specifically through dealing with our tendency to self-abandon and our wound of separation is like the final steps with a really large and long emphasis of our completing this process of understanding and feeling into the archetype of the wounded healer in our experience as a collective consciousness in general. So that's the astro setup. I don't think I'm going to talk a whole lot more about specific like astrological delineations or dates, etc. today, but I'll probably come back to it. Now I just want to get into like, what is this though? Like, how is this showing up? We'll start with just what is self-abandonment? Today, I'm going to define self-abandonment as what happens when we value that separation is an illusion over valuing that the illusion is intentional. That's really heady. Um, and I, I'm going to bring it down into like practically in reality in our day-to-day lives. What does it look like? But since I started out here with these ideas of the conflicting truths, the truth of eternal, sacred, ultimate connection, and then this Aries truth of separation, the truth of our separation, of our individuality, of each of us being completely different, autonomous vessels for this eternal connected sacred consciousness to have an experience through i want to start there self-abandonment is when we value that separation is an illusion over valuing that the illusion is intentional in other words we devalue 
our separate experience. Self-abandonment is what is happening when we reject, repress, devalue, shame the perspectives and the needs and the experiences of the separate self within this matrix of our shared reality. This happens consciously and this happens subconsciously. Self-abandonment is what is happening when we reject any qualities of our true nature. It's what's happening when we diminish our own needs. It's what's happening when we dissociate from our bodies, when we dissociate from our current experience of reality. Self-abandonment is what's happening when we wish that we were different at the core than who we are. Self-abandonment, you might even say, is what's happening when we wish the circumstances of our lives were different than what they are. And that's something that I want to qualify that there's no shame. There's no shame in any of this, and we'll get to that. But there's no, there's nothing inherently wrong with desire and with that craving that you experience more harmony in your life, that you have more of what feels easy and feels aligned. These are all parts of the process of truth. This wound of separation is real. Because we know that we are God, we are connected, having to have this experience of separation hurts. At times, it it feels like this unscratchable itch. That's how I think of the Virgo-Pisces axis, Virgo being opposite Pisces. Pisces is perfection. Virgo is the itch to know that in our physical manifest reality, there's always something we could do to come to more perfection. I feel this a lot in the Aries Libra axis as well. Libra is this impossible mission for sacred regulation because everything we do to regulate, to come to more harmony and balance is an action that will require another equal opposite reaction. So regulation is sacred, but it's also perpetual. The, the act of trying to find balance is one that is never ending. And so when we have desires and wishes to experience life in a way that's different from what we are currently experiencing, that is simply a manifestation of the part of us that knows that perfection is real, that we come from source, and that we're experiencing an illusion of separation right now. And so there's nothing wrong with that. That is sacred. And when we cannot accept the experiences that we're having, and thus we cannot take responsibility to be the one interfacing with this version of reality, we are in some way abandoning ourselves. One of the most popular ways to self-abandon is through people-pleasing. When we behave and communicate and express in ways that are a distortion of our true frequency, in ways that are inauthentic, and sometimes we know we're doing that and sometimes we don't. Self-abandonment happens consciously and self-abandonment happens subconsciously. Self-abandonment is what's happening when we, quote, put other people first. And I'm putting that phrase in quotes because, I don't know, I'm not sure that's something that's even possible for us to do. Like, let me just throw out a proposition that perhaps putting other people first is a fallacy and not something that's possible because we are always the first person having this particular experience. Putting other people first perhaps is just a thing we tell ourselves and we tell others to explain away our tendencies for self-abandonment and provide excuses for us not taking responsibility for ourselves. So there's some examples of what I mean 
when I talk about what self-abandonment is. Why do we self-abandon? Okay, well, there's this truth of personal responsibility that is Aries. There's this truth of the sanctity of separation that is Aries. But there's also a bunch of other truths that seemingly contradict that when we're locked into polarity, when we're locked into the binary, when we're locked into the matrix without awareness. Some of these other truths are that we absolutely require connection and security. We are not designed or built as humans to operate completely alone. We are designed to benefit from, revel in, and love connection and support from one another. We need the other. We need the other not even just to like feel <laughs> safe and secure and loved, but we literally need the other to experience life. This is the Aries Libra axis, right? Like we need the mirrors of what's outside of us in order to experience ourselves being reflected back to us without the context of the whole rest of the zodiac, including especially the reflection of self that is the mirror of Libra. Aries is nothing. It can't exist on its own. We need mirrors. We need relationship. We need each other. We need emotional connection, kind of getting into cancer here. We, we require connection and security. We need emotional bonds. Cancer is kind of like the first place in the zodiac after leaving Pisces, where we get this reminder of coming home to the ultimate truth of our eternal connection to one another. And we need structural and material support and engagement with one another. A little bit feeling into Capricorn there. So Aries, the truth of singularity and separation, isn't the only truth, okay? But for reasons, which I've established and will continue to establish throughout, it's a truth that we are all being asked to look at, even though it's painful and to reckon with and deal with right now in, a, in this somewhat long chapter of the experience of collective cosmic curriculum all of these needs the need to take personal responsibility and accept the separation the need for one another the need for emotional connection the need for physical structural material support the need for relationality every single one of them is non-negotiable but Contrary to what our very binary minds will tell us, none of these needs demand that we release or condemn or dismiss the other needs. Our need for emotional connection, our need for relationship and relational harmony, our need for taking responsibility for each other in this shared co-creative reality through our systems, through our institutions, None of those things demand our self-abandonment in the way that we tend to think that they do. And you'll notice perhaps that all of these signs that I've mentioned by name so far, Aries, Cancer, Libra, Capricorn, these are the cardinal signs of the zodiac. And I'm bringing them up because I really like to play with the theme of interdependence and some of these intersecting and seeming contradicting needs through looking at the way that the oppositions and the squares, so the hard aspects that tend to bring conflict and seeming contradiction, show up between these four cardinal signs of the zodiac. I gave a whole talk on this theme for AFAN 
the what does AFAN stand for? Association for Astrological Networking. I gave a talk for AFAN a year ago, two years ago. I don't know what is time on this concept, on the way that I work with interdependence through playing with the different orientations towards responsibility and obligation and how we perceive in our ego, in the Maya, that those things contradict one another. Um, obligation and responsibility in the fire realm, Aries in the water realm, Cancer in the air realm, Libra and in the earth realm, Capricorn. Uh, so there's a whole, if you're into this concept, go listen to that talk. It's somewhere on my website. Um, but just to kind of sum up the theme here, I experience cardinal signs as being the signs that are taking initiative. That's a word we hear a lot for cardinal signs. They're initiatory. Uh, they're taking initiative because they have a sense of responsibility for an obligation and duty towards their elemental realm. Aries, cardinal fire, has an innate responsibility and obligation towards the self and it takes that very seriously cancer has an innate responsibility and obligation towards the truth of our ultimate and eternal connection to one another and cancer takes that very very seriously for cancer the phrase that always comes to mind immediately is this ram das phrase that we're all just walking each other home Ram Das has an exalted Jupiter in Cancer in the first house, Cancer rising. Libra has an innate responsibility and obligation towards the social and relational harmony. In other words, towards our impact on everything and everyone around us, towards justice, towards balance. And Libra takes that responsibility very seriously. Capricorn has an innate sense of responsibility and obligation towards the material plane and the physical systemic structures of our co-created collective reality as they manifest on the societal and global scale, our institutions, our governments, etc. Our sense of responsibility to the earth, to the collective. And none of these senses of innate responsibility are more important than the other, and each is a foundation for the rest. And all of it here's my Aries coming through, must get filtered through your own unique orientation and expression. And for some extra context, Pluto's in Capricorn, not for much longer, we're almost done with it, but Pluto has been just like decimating those Capricornian structures such that we haven't been able to orient to like backwards plan from these large scale global physical world circumstances because so many of us, if you're listening to this podcast, I imagine this is you, have been in this process of divesting from the global structures, from the societal structures that do not resonate with the vision that you have for your life and what you know is possible for our collective societal individual and relational future. So as we're divesting from the old systems, as they're falling apart exactly on time, as they should be, as the transits and the programming and the global cycles deem is the natural and necessary next step of human evolution, of, the, of human consciousness evolving, we don't exactly know what's going to get built in its place. 
and we're deconstructing, deprogramming the effect that those institutions, that cultural societal programming and institutions had on us. And we're relearning how to come back to our unique separate orientation and expression, which will be a building block for how we connect to each other on these other cardinal planes through Cancer, Libra, and ultimately Capricorn in ways that are more healthy, that more honor the basic human needs and and the basic inherent value and worth of every human life simply by being in existence on the planet. And this piece is very Aries, to know that my my mere existence as a separate separate being is valuable because again Aries remembers Pisces and Pisces understands that everything and everyone is perfect because it's all God so none of these responsibilities that these cardinal signs have is more important than the other and right now Pluto and Capricorn just talked about that. The nodes are in Aries and Libra. So we're working specifically to like reintegrate and balance and harmonize across the Aries Libra axis. And Chiron is in Aries. So we are in this slow process of clearing codependency and healing the wound of separation and acknowledging our tendency for self-abandonment. In other words, self-responsibility is in season right now, and it's also triggering as fuck. I want to paint a little picture, and I'm borrowing here some language from my interdependence in the cardinal signs talk. Just kind of like tap you into a vision that I have, that I know and feel in my body is possible for our individual and collective realities and is our future. So let me just bring you into that vision by asking you a few questions, and maybe you'll see how they're connected to the little mini astrology lesson I just gave. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. Just feel into this with me. What if it was entirely possible for every individual to live a life free of dissonant and misaligned compromise and still contribute to their relationships, community, and collective with integrity? What if caring for one another could be an inherent and organic part of our autonomous movement through the world rather than something based on coercion or obligation or guilt? What if we could trust that we could always count on a return to harmony in our relationships and in societies, even in a reality where conflict and rupture are inevitably going to happen? What if our collective agreements in regards to how we care for and tend to our shared existence on this planet were rooted in and regularly refined in accordance with an equal prioritization of our autonomy, of unconditional love and compassionate care, and of harmonious reciprocity? The Zodiac shows us that even though on the ego mind level we may not see that each of these things is possible, The Zodiac shows us that each of these things is possible, that all of these things exist in truth. I want to keep playing with this theme of responsibility, and I want to talk about it here, specifically across the Aries-Libra axis. Not only is Chiron in Aries right now, but the North Node is in Aries, and that means the South Node is in Libra. And wherever the South Node is, there's a trap. When we put Aries and Libra against each other, which is the way that our binaried minds are able to perceive them. 
neither is more important than the other. Right now, because the south node is in Libra, we are dealing with a sort of excess of the Libra orientation, or another way of putting it is like an over-attachment to what we think Libra is and how we utilize the function of Libra in our lives. Something there's got to go. The south node, as Judith Hill says, is the anus of the zodiac. I think about it as like where shit's getting flushed out, like literally where toxins are getting flushed out. And the agent that flushes those toxins out is wherever the north node is. So we're dealing in the extremes of a polarity access when we're dealing with the nodes. Right now, in addition to Chiron being in Aries, making self-responsibility and the ultimate truth of our separateness feeling pretty fucking triggering, the north node is also there making that challenge really loud and bringing the Aries energy and perspective in really strongly. That Because the nodes are a points of polarity, they always tend to lock us into uh, like excess. So during the Aries nodal transit, you'll probably find yourself and the people around you and the values of society kind of like violently splitting and bouncing back and forth between one or the other. So overall, what's being released is overactive Libra tendencies and Libra attachment and what's entering in where the tides are coming in, another Judith Hill phrase for the nodes, is a stronger sense of personal responsibility. But within this integration across this axis, there will be a lot of moments where each of us bounces to each extreme. So just important to remember that like we are not trying to get away from Libra and towards Aries right now. We are being introduced to Aries to a larger extent and in a louder stronger form than we're used to in order to flush out what is stagnant and what has built up and become toxic in our orientation through the Libra lens. So here's some just some things to play with to feel into the Aries Libra axis in general which is a huge part of the Chiron and Aries transit, the shorter but still significant nodal transit and so all of this theme of self-abandonment in general. Everything is a mirror. Everything is sacred. Therefore, when you notice a personal distaste for a certain arrangement of consciousness manifest in human form, so when you notice a certain distaste for a zodiac sign, a certain placement, an aura type, a profile in human design, the sensation of a certain defined center or the conditioning of a certain undefined center, when you notice that distaste for any particular arrangement of consciousness manifests in human form, and if you're not into astrology and human design, just think about a quality of person that you notice you don't quite enjoy. That's information about and for you because everything is a mirror and everything is sacred. And so anything you can't accept in the other is just a reflection of that part of wholeness that you are presently unable to accept within yourself that you are rejecting within yourself a part of self that you have abandoned everything is a mirror let this mirror show you what you struggle to accept in yourself let it show you what unmet needs of your own are yet to be addressed if there's a pattern of distaste and blame and othering there's a pattern of self-rejection 
Let this mirror grow your capacity for love and strengthen your ability to accept uniqueness, your own uniqueness and everyone else's. Differentiation and autonomy are beautiful and perfect even when someone's expression of their own differentiation or their limitations within their own differentiation don't directly serve you in the way that you think you should be served. Let this mirror remind you of the necessity of autonomy and personal responsibility and the importance of self-sovereignty. And on the other hand, let's talk about balance. Let's talk about relational harmony. Let's talk about the importance of taking responsibility for our impact on one another. Earlier, I used the words, the impossible mission of sacred regulation. Libra is here to prioritize balance and harmony above all else. And that is a sacred and noble mission. But it is also one that is never complete. Equilibrium, karmic balance, and harmony, they exist on a plane far beyond the agency of the human being. Equilibrium, karmic balance, harmony, this is something happening according to the scale of natural order, natural law, something beyond the human interference. They don't happen entirely on our watch. In other words, the scales of justice are beyond our comprehension and our command. And this is one of the things that I think the South Node in Libra is orienting us to, helping our helping us let go from from our individual and collective ego minds of an obsession with harmony and balance so that harmony and balance can show itself to us in fresh new ways through the influx of the Aries energy. Here's an example of that. Balance doesn't come from us forcing it or fixating on it. It comes from being in flow. Every cell in your body working in harmony, doing its own job rather than demanding the other cells or the other organs do something differently. That's what balance is. That's what equilibrium is. Not cells trying to be what they're not or cells trying to force other cells to be what they're not. Same thing in the animal kingdom. Same thing in nature at large. Everything being itself, honoring its differentiation, balance comes from that. You are a thread in the fabric of all. Your own truest and most honest, authentic desires and urges and visions and passions, and even your own boundaries and capacities and limitations are as much about and for the collective and everyone in relationship to you as they are about and for you. Let yourself be led by what is truly calling you because if you avoid that call in pursuit of a facade of harmony, in other words, if you avoid what your body and your spirit truly want to do or try to reject what your body and your spirit communicate to you that you don't have the will or capacity for, in the name of what you think you think you should be doing for the sake of harmony, then you are bypassing the potential for the actualization of your role in true synergistic balance. No one can protect and guard and revere and honor 
your unique passion, call, expression the way that you can. And that is why you are ultimately the one that's responsible for that. I hope that you have a sense of like what it what it is for you when I say things like your truth, your passions, your capacity. Like I hope you're feeling into that frequency of you as I bring this up because it looks different for all of us. And not only does our truth in our home frequency, as I like to call it, look and express and feel differently for each of us. But also the way we abandon that looks and feels different for each of us. So let me bring some like generalizations in of what it looks like to self-abandon for you to see what comes up in your body, what comes up in your mind, what comes up in your memory of the ways that you have done this in the past or that you're currently doing it now. How do we self-abandon? What does self-abandonment look like? Self-abandonment, as I mentioned earlier, can be dissociation, right? Dissociating from the current experience of being ourselves. This can look like addiction in all of its forms, substance abuse, uh, getting addicted to the dopamine hits of social media, just your general compulsions and behaviors on the day-to-day that happen out of compulsiveness and a desire to distract yourself and dissociate yourself escapism and compulsion this can be using any kind of mental narrative to justify anything in your life right like dissociating from the truth of the experience that you're having emotionally energetically physically by focusing in an imbalanced way on the mental narrative for it because the mind is the part of you that's locked into the binary. So the mind is the part of you that thinks it has to reject one part of this multifaceted, multidimensional truth of your existence in order to justify or prioritize another. So when you're locked into either or thinking, you are dissociating from truth because truth is multidimensional. And when this happens, you are often using the mind and the mind's programming to try to justify something. And that is a form of dissociation. That is a form of self-abandonment because nothing that you do or feel or experience needs to be justified. It is all inherently worthy. Self-abandonment looks like codependency. It looks like expecting someone or something outside of you to affirm your validity and your worthiness to resource your ultimate sense of inherent worth and safety and security on the planet self-abandonment looks like people pleasing in other words maintaining a facade that demonstrates what you think and assume that other people want from you using what you perceive are other people's needs or comfort levels or expectations as excuses and distractions from being with and honoring your own truth and needs in the moment. Self-abandonment can look like getting stuck in the experience of victim consciousness and blame, where we project our shame and self-rejection outwards onto individuals, communities, and the world at large. And please note I specifically used the words getting stuck because experiencing life as a victim at times is an inherent part of this experience. This is the wound of separation. We feel the victim sometimes because we remember in ourselves 
what it is to be connected to source and wholeness. In some ways, we are victim to this experience of separation, but getting stuck in that experience of victim consciousness, letting the gravity of that pull you into just perceiving your entire reality or your entire circumstance within a certain relationship or experience, getting stuck, staying there, that is self-abandonment. You came here to have this experience, and this is the experience that you're having right now. So have it and take some responsibility for your experience of it. I want to note that leaning into self and abandoning self can look the same. They can look like the same thing from the outside, like from appearances, from person to person, and from day to day. What is self-abandonment for you today might look on the outside like what authenticity and honesty and deep self-care and self-responsibility look like for you in three weeks from now or looked like for you last year. For instance, talking to a friend on the phone, venting about something that you're experiencing resistance towards that you're struggling with, that might be an act of self-care and self-responsibility one day and it might be an act of self-abandonment another day it might be an act of dissociation and attempting to justify rather than be with so it's not about what you're doing right we can assess the extent to which we are leaning into self taking responsibility surrendering to this experience of separateness versus self-abandoning by asking ourselves the question, is this bringing me closer to truth or is it helping me dissociate from it? There's no rules and there's no stagnancy. Authenticity is a feeling. I use these words home frequency because this is how I've come to experience it. I have gotten to know what the frequency of my separateness feels like in contrast to what it feels like to plug into and be conditioned by and be in a synergized experience of exchanging energy and frequency with others. Uh, the latter is a beautiful, necessary, inherent, gorgeous part of my life experience. But being able to distinguish the frequency of home and the frequency of engagement with the other, and especially the way that engagement with the other can sort of seduce me into abandoning my home frequency and not prioritizing the peace and balance and safety that I experience when I'm cultivating a sense of peace within my home frequency, that is extremely useful. Again, authenticity is a feeling and self-abandonment is a distortion of that feeling. And you can learn to distinguish with your inner senses that home frequency from the distortion of it. No one else can fully validate that for you except you because nobody knows your home frequency but you. Nobody comes home to that frequency but you. When we self-abandon, our own self-abandonment leads us to expecting and even demanding others' self-abandonment. We have kind of just accepted culturally and relationally these tendencies for subtle coercion and manipulation. There's like outright abuse and manipulation and coercion that happens and that's the kind of stuff that we tend to label as like toxic relationships, power imbalances, um, 
abuse. And then there's all these micro versions of this that happen that today I'm calling subtle coercion. So I want to just point out some of the ways that I see these tendencies for subtle coercion in what we kind of socially as a culture, and of course I'm talking about like in my own experience of social and cultural norms, have accepted. When we move from this place of like assumed expectation that because I perceive that I have abandoned myself for the sake of maintaining relational harmony with you or for the sake of meeting your needs, you must do that for me. And a lot of the times when we, quote, put other people first or put other people's needs first, we're really just operating from a place of like doing the thing we think we need to do in order to avoid being abandoned by them, right? We have a lot of expect we have a lot of assumptions about what we think other people want, need and expect from us. And us trying to curate the way that they perceive us and either enjoy or don't enjoy their experience of us, that is coercion. That is an attempt to control and manipulate another person's experience through attempting to curate their experience of us through keeping up with some facade that is really just a construct of what we think they think they need from us and what we think we want their story about us to be. When we do this, when we try to curate someone else's experience of us by acting through what is commonly known as people-pleasing, we're taking away their autonomy to have the experience and the outlook of their relationship to us or this circumstance with us and their outlook on our relationship or on this experience with us is theirs alone. That's not for me to manage. It's not my responsibility and it's not my right to take away or to try to take away. And this goes two ways. We abandon ourselves by trying to meet these perceived expectations of others, which is really just an act of uh, out of fear and avoidance of being abandoned and rejected. But we also we also ask people to self-abandon when we try to hold them to meeting expectations that we have of them and of our relationship with them. We can take away from people's autonomy or diminish and devalue someone else's autonomy, both when we try to coerce them subtly into having a particular experience or outlook on us experience of or outlook on us and we also subtly coerce them when we shame and blame however overtly or covertly them for not meeting the expectations that we have for them that is a diminishment and a devaluing of their autonomy and of their unique differentiation and of their capacity to be the person who is ultimately responsible for their own movement through the world. So much of this codependency of this, even the most subtle sort of coercive tendencies, comes out of a desire to feel validated and affirmed. And we, as I mentioned earlier, Libra, Cancer, Capricorn, we do need to feel validated and affirmed by our world and our external reality, including the structures and systems within it, including our family, including those we feel connected to, including all of our relationships. 
However, when we outsource that sense of affirmation entirely to our external reality, we completely lose the ability to resource that sense of validation and inherent worthiness within. This is something I'm going to quote myself. This is something I said a long time ago that still comes up all the time. The person best suited to offer you the grace that you seek is yourself. Let's dig into that a little bit. The perception that others have of you is useful information until it's not. Know yourself, love yourself, trust yourself, and let the information that you receive about how others understand you be secondary to the resonant vibration of self-knowing that is possible for you with deep listening and honest self-discovery. When we first have to confront this realization that no one outside of us can give you the validation that you seek, when we first, uh, you know, seek to integrate that part of truth, it can be really disheartening and scary. And this fear can make us want to double down on our self-abandonment tendencies. But if you keep going towards and into that truth or that part of truth, you might eventually realize that this is a literal best case scenario. The person best suited to offer you the grace that you seek is yourself. No one outside of you can give you the validation that you seek. That might be a good thing. You have the autonomy, the capacity, and the agency to accept yourself and your circumstances, to take responsibility for them, because ultimately no one else can, and no one else should, and no one else will. But why would you want it any other way? Why outsource that? when you could cultivate an ability to resource that within. It is when we are able to resource a sense of worth within, a sense of security and safety, and a sense of connection with all, through our remembrance that all these different truths are a part of the same truth, even when they show up in our mind as conflicting and contradicting with one another. It is because of our memory of soul eternal connection, because we know that we are God, that separation is just an illusion. It's because of this that our that this intentional illusion is sacred, that we are inherently worthy, safe, and secure. It's because we know we're connected to all that we can relax into this experience of uniqueness, this experience of individuality and separation. And it's from this place of being able to resource worth, security, safety, and a sense of connection with all within that we're able to lean into self rather than abandon it. It's from this place of honing our own frequency rather than abandoning and thus expressing more from a refined version of our own frequency, that we then attract more of the external vessels that can reflect back to us and validate for us our worth and affirmation and a sense of security and safety and connection that will match us in the places and ways that don't require self-abandonment in order to experience them. One word that I haven't brought up yet that I think a lot about when I'm thinking about the cardinal signs is integrity. Each of the cardinal signs cares deeply about integrity, but in different ways. 
right? Integrity doesn't look the same on you as it looks on anyone else. And this is how Aries orients to integrity. Showing up how you think is right or ethical according to societal trends and standards and according to your conditioning is fine and it's something we all do on some level. But showing up in a clear expression of your actual frequency as determined by your own subjectivity and by your honest embodiment of where you're at and what strand of consciousness you're presently working with around and on, that's a whole other level of integrity. And that's the level of integrity that can put you in a position where you can match these other components of integrity on the Cancer, Libra, Capricorn realms. Showing up how you think is right or ethical, according to your conditioning, according to what the world at large says, according to what homogenized society or just the people you most ally with and identify with expect you to perhaps perform a sense of morality, that's never going to perfectly match your unique expression of your own integrity. Homogeneity will never honor your own fluctuating subjective truth. And so I invite you to get more comfortable with not being correct according to a homogenized understanding of correctness or according to anyone else's understanding of correctness or morality. Be curious about maybe learning to get comfortable with being disliked, projected onto, misunderstood. This is sort of a prerequisite to escaping the pattern of self-abandonment, getting comfortable with being disliked, projected onto, misunderstood. And you know what? Maybe we don't actually get comfortable with the all of the above because it is uncomfortable. Like it it will trigger our self-abandonment wounds because it triggers our very real need to feel safe and connected and accepted when people dislike us. So maybe we don't have to get comfortable with it, but I'm inviting you today to begin or continue your process of experimenting with this inner resourcing where you're not relying on how you're perceived by others to feel a sense of worthiness and validity in your own existence, in your own separate subjective experience. Experiment with this inner resourcing and then affirm it and then reaffirm it over and over and over again so that you can cultivate a sense of security and safety and worthiness within no matter what it is you're experiencing without so that those fears of experiencing rejection or abandonment from the other don't have to automatically trigger a spiral within you in which you are also abandoning yourself. Even in your messiness, even in your perceived selfishness, even in the experiences of your worst nightmares coming true and you experiencing being disliked, being abandoned, being rejected by the other, you are actually still safe. You are still connected to the truth of eternal connection, safetiness, and worthiness. All of that is a given. This practice of cultivating a sense of worthiness, safety, and security within, this is a practice of pattern disruption. We're not trying to fix anything or change anything in some grandiose way that has finality to it, right? The mission 
of sacred regulation is impossible. Balance is not static. It's an ongoing process. So what I'm trying to get at here is don't punish yourself for when you self-abandon or for how you have self-abandoned in your life thus far. Punishing yourself for self-abandonment is self-abandonment. It comes from shame. It comes from rejection of experiences that you've had in facets of your existence. We're disrupting patterns here. We're escaping a cycle, even just momentarily. We're building new neural pathways. So if you're experiencing a, a sense of liberation right now, a, a sense of being comfortable with yourself and your truth, or if you're not, next time you notice yourself experience the external circumstances of being being or feeling rejected by the other if you're able to notice that and disrupt the pattern of having that automatically automatically spiral into self-abandonment while you're there or maybe while you're here for a moment experiencing your home frequency with some clarity send your future self a gift of some grace for the next time you self-abandon because it will happen again and again and it's okay Thank you for being yourself here today with me and in your life. See you next time on The Maya Game.